Welcome to the Harrington Star FinTech Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Discussions. I want to showcase people across our industry who are advocates for change. I love to celebrate the wins, but we know there is so much more to be done to ensure that change actually happens to build a truly inclusive industry. In these diversity, equity and inclusion discussions, I have a number of series. The Humans of FinTech, The Talent Surgery, The Maternity and Paternity Stories, and the longest running of all, the Women of FinTech podcast series. I do lots of work to drive change campaigns across our industry to increase inclusion within the workplace. So please contact me to see how we can partner together. You can contact me through LinkedIn or on my email, nadia.edwards-dashti at harringtonstar.com. In the meantime, enjoy the show. Welcome to the Women of Fintech podcast series. We are here today to celebrate the wins, raise awareness of the challenges and walk the talk for change across the entire industry. Today, we are joined by Isabel Pitt, Head of Core Services at Zopa. Now, Zopa began as the world's first peer-to-peer -peer lending company in 2005 and gained a full banking license in 2020. Isabel is responsible for leading the product strategy for core function enablers, which supports all of Zopa's consumer and product journeys. She was also on the Innovate Finance 2020 Women in Fintech Power List and is here today to share her story and some of the lessons along the way. Isabel, thank you so much for joining me. Hi, Nadia. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so I'm super excited to hear all about you, but if you could open up and tell us a bit more about your role and actually what it entails. I would probably say my role is a little bit of a hybrid. Uh, so it's where product and technology merge. So um, at, at Zopa, Core Services really are at the center of, of all customer journey and product journeys. So we're looking at these technical capabilities but using that product mindset in order to drive growth and strategy. So we're working really closely with all of the product managers across all of Zopa's products, work really closely with um, you know, the, the operational teams, security, fraud. So it's, it's really one of those critical teams that enable everybody to service our customers, which is really exciting for me. Yeah, absolutely. And being able to bring it all together is just super mm -hmm. exciting. Now, um, I know that you've joined recently. I want you to share with us what actually drew you to Zopa, because I know there's some fantastic things that's really made Zopa stand out and also share some of your first impressions. I had the pleasure of the uh, chief technology officer reaching out to me last year um, about her role he was trying to fill in Zopa, which was his head of core services role. So through a number of conversations with him, some of the um, other executive uh, committee members, I really started to see I guess the alignment and values of what the Exco were trying to do and their objectives for really disrupting lending and you know the banking ecosystem. Um, 
align with mine. Um, and some examples of that are around, you know, my early research was, you know, going onto their website, looking at the language that they use, you know, particularly with things like terms and conditions, you know, you'd see them in simple language, really easy to understand. Um, and for me, I have a huge passion around how do we make finance and this, you know, banking ecosystem that we call, you know, here in the United Kingdom, um, really accessible and inclusive to all facets of society, because we're all using it. So no one should feel excluded. So that was kind of my initial draw. Uh, you know, they drew me in with that. Um, from there, I started doing my research on, on the executive committee. And I was really surprised to see just the balance of gender um, on the committee. That really impressed me because it was 50-50. Uh, the diversity of backgrounds of each of the ex-co members. Um, and really just, you know, kind of that diversity of thinking that's being driven by um, our CEO, JDEV. So I think those things were the initial lures into, <laughs> into core services and into ZOPA. And really stand out bits of information about ZOPA. Um, this is what a, a number of businesses across the industry are, are striving towards, um, and it's no easy feat. Now, you've spoken about the need to assimilate in the past and because of, because of technology, because of this industry. Um, and when I say assimilate, I mean being one of the boys, and I'm using those quotation marks in the air to people listening to this. And this is a common issue that, that a lot of women have faced in male-dominated spaces. I wanted you just to share some of your insights because when we first spoke about this, you said that that's the total opposite of what it's like at Zopa. So I think it's important to share. You know, I've always worked in technology and in this space where, you know, it is very male dominated. STEM inherently over the last 20 years has been very um, skewed gender wise. Um, I think, you know, for me, I've seen behaviors in women kind of go two routes. One is become one. So behaviors are quite assertive, bordering on, you know, what some would call aggressive. I wouldn't, but I would say assertive, um, very exclusive. So once, the, you know, you're in a position, you don't bring anybody up with you um, or, you know, moving away from that sort of supportive environment um, that, you know, one would associate with a very gender balanced work workplace. Um, or you have other women who are really just happy to be in the background, right? They are the supporters, they are the note takers, they are the going and getting the coffee makers. You know, it, it's that role seems to be what happens to women in a workplace where gender isn't very balanced. I think for me, I, you know, was reflecting on, um, kind of my journey and prep for this um, and being LGBT and, you know, being a lesbian, I've, I've really early on in my career felt very uncomfortable for the attention or the way in which the interactions were kind of going with my male colleagues and how they would interact. And for me, I, I really started to use my lesbianism as a way to level the playing field and sort of say, I am just one of the boys. And it's, it's not until you're a bit older and you start looking back on your career that you realize you have these kind of coping mechanisms or approaches that you implement as a way for you to define how the relationship structure in that environment will proceed and whether you'll be included. Uh, you you know, I say included loosely because I don't think, you know, in these old 
boys club environments, you know, and I will use that term because it still exists. Are you ever fully included? Because you don't understand the rules, you don't understand the language, you don't understand kind of the inherent uh, agreements because you weren't part of the original game. Um, but I think, you know, you're at least allowed to see it, but from a periphery closer than some of the other women that I noticed in the past. So, as I said, I used I used that as a way to break down barriers and kind of level that. Now I look at it more like I'm using it as a, as a way to show other women who might be lesbians or bisexual or just wanting to approach work life and those interactions differently another approach by being so visible about how i do it i think these are huge topics and really really insightful for you to share your lived experience on this um because you're so right it still exists this isn't something that was in the past that we've now moved on from this exists in in a lot of workplaces right now even if it is just small pockets and it's something that we need to support everybody to not feel the need to assimilate to not have to um but to actually be seen for who they are and i know that we, we've discussed this before but a huge part of this is correct recognition within mm. the workplace and getting it right because it's so detrimental when that recognition is wrong and what you were saying about people being on the peripheral rather than feeling front and center within a business recognition is mm. a huge part of that yeah, for sure. I mean, if I look back on my own journey, you know, a couple of organizations ago, I, you know, I, I, you know, was poached from a consultancy firm I worked at. So I, you know, I was looked at as, you know, the next big leader. I remember, you know, in my mind, I was like, right, I've got two years and then, you know, that will be the foundations for me in my head about progressing up to the next level and taking that on because I will have been a permanent person in this organization. And that felt like a good amount of time and, and kind of almost setting my own personal um, expectations are resetting those. Um, and I had, you know, through five months into that, I had what was effectively the CIO at the time come to me and pull me into a room just one-to-one -one and said to me, right, I'm going to be promoting you. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And he was like, yep, it's about time you being a woman did, did something for you. And I was like, Okay, I'm going to go with it, right? Because you're me, oh, you're like excited to be recognized, right? So excited to be recognized. So he said, "You deliver this thing for me, and you know that promotion's yours." And so I delivered the thing, went away, and had a holiday. Came back, and somebody else was in the role. The male was in the role, and I remember just spending probably a good four years after that experience trying to prove to everybody around me that he made the wrong decision and you know the behaviors that i started displaying were cutthroat you know because i felt really robbed and cheated i felt really let down i felt like why would someone offer you that and put that out there if they weren't going to follow up with it um and i think I think not recognizing people or recognizing them in that way and then taking away, you have to really, as leaders, understand what you're doing to people and the, and the collateral damage that's being left behind. Whether you're male or female, I think recognition is a hugely important aspect to leadership, right? And how people 
want to be led and want to be a part of the organization and what they put back into the organization. Because I know for myself, I've probably spent the next few years after that really unraveling that and recognizing that those behaviors that came out of that single experience um, and, and just really questioning who, whether that was the person I wanted to be forever. It's really powerful that you share that. And thank you for sharing that because you know, I, I personally really relate to it, but also, you know, we sit on these podcasts and we talk about how do we create environments where people are set up to be the best that they can be in the workplace or that they want to be within the workplace. How do you set people up for best success? Well, surely not making them feel cheated um, and let down and left on the back foot thinking, well, I better prove myself, but proving themselves and also and being almost on a, on a mission that's detrimental to themselves, you know, that's, that's never going to be helpful in, in allowing someone to be the best version of themselves within, within the working environment. But at the same time, sharing that story will and should stop people for a moment and make them think, well, have I done something similar recently? Can I go and rectify that? Who do I need to go and talk to within the business? Who can I see that's displaying those behaviors because of something that I perhaps did a while ago, all of that can be rectified and sorted by, by really good communication and actually what this podcast is about awareness. Um, so on the other hand, what does the environment look like when you get recognition right? I think people feel included, right? Like this is all about inclusivity. And I think when people get recognized, validly recognized for real work that others recognize, then you, you feel like it's, it's a fair environment. Like if you did the same amount of work or achieved the same things, you would be recognized as well. And I think that breeds a level of trust and authenticity in an environment, which is critical to making it a place that people want to work at. Um, I think when you when you watch people get advanced or recognized and you're like, why is that happening? Why isn't that me? You start to realize there's something underlying that you don't either understand the rules to and understand how to operate in um, or you're not a part of. And then you start to feel a little bit, you know, excluded, you know, you could feel like it's, it's you, you know, a lot of the time for many years, I thought it was me. I thought I, you know, I was too big. You know, I was a triangle in a square. I was too Australian. I wasn't assimilating to the English ways enough. Like there was, I, there was so much pressure and internal dialogue that went into how can I fix this? How can I change this? Um, that I think, you know, having an environment where people are recognized and in authentic ways, right? It doesn't have to be huge, but talking about good and bad in the same conversation is a way of recognizing things, being open and transparent in your language. And, you know, yes, we all have to be politically sensitive with some information sometimes as leaders, but there is no harm in being transparent to your team to build trust, right? And entrusting them with this information and then having the right conversation around it. So I think recognition looks like a safe, fair, level playing field that everybody's involved in. And the, hereby we unlock the, the mythical question of how do we achieve this? Um, I, think, I think you're so right. And, you know, just, just listening to you on, on telling one story to another, 
like what absolute polar opposites of environment of feeling of of even how you're how you're speaking about it you know nothing is more powerful than those two stories um and i think that it takes me on quite nicely to the importance and the need for diversity of thought within a workplace and that's how you've opened opened up this podcast talking about what drew you to zopa so i just wanted you to share a bit more of your thoughts on that uh, like I think for me, having been in financial services now, both here in the UK and in Australia, th there's a real archetype of individuals that work there, right? You know, they are, you know, having gone to Cybos in London, like there, it definitely wasn't as diverse as I was expecting to, it to be. And I think if you go out into the high street and you just stop for a minute instead of shopping and look around and see the melting pot of ages genders, you know, race, um, sexuality, uh, you know, even, you know, and gender, like non-gender binary people like you, there are so many different perspectives and point of view that we're missing out on by not having those people in these environments. And we can't truly you know, reflect that in our products and our offerings to customers and the way in which we do things within banking, um, you know, financial services and banking, if we don't have those people providing us with those insights within the organization. Um, I think for me, you know, it's it's been almost subconscious, a passion of mine, um, because I feel like I don't know enough about, you know, what it is to be a woman of color. So I want a woman of color close to me to provide me that insight so that together we can collaborate on something that's meaningful to a broader remit than just, you know, an LGBT white woman. So it's, it's you know, because my point of view is only mine. Um, I also think too, you know, especially within leadership and organizations and companies, uh, you know, around the globe, if you only have one style of individual, you have no examples of other approaches or other ways to do things within an organization. So how are you going to test and learn new ideas if, if you don't have others with different ideas pushing those boundaries internally um, or showing you know, others that you can do things in a different way and still be accepted? You know, I think it's really important these days, especially with, you know, workforce and finding talent. We need to, as organizations, figure out a way to tap into new talent pools of people uh, coming from different backgrounds. You know, otherwise, you know, it's, we're running out of people to do some of this really critical work as well. It's like, you know, there's a drive there that's, you know, at the bottom line, too. <laughs> Absolutely. And this is a huge, huge topic that I'm talking to people about. Like, we have to get better at attracting people who never thought that we would welcome them to this industry. We have to get better at leveling the playing field so that everyone has an opportunity to grow their career within this industry. And furthermore, we have to get better at retaining amazing talent within this industry, turning potential into talent and keeping them with us because we're looking after them. And if we can get those three things right, then this industry is can explode at the way that you know it should do but it's not going to without all these people so I, I love everything that you've said there we we need to constantly be learning and just in this podcast alone what what you've shared with us has been phenomenal um and it takes me to my last question my favorite question I always ask everybody because these podcasts when I do the intro I always say let's walk the talk for change what does walking the talk actually look like? And um, what are the action points? So my last question to you is, what is your call to action 
for what more all of us can do and should do to make the workplace more authentically inclusive. So I think there's, there's probably a few things we can, we can do. Firstly, be aware of how you operate and how that's impacting the people around you. It's a really simple action. Understanding who you are, how you operate, what your values are, will allow you to lead and influence your team and the people around you um, in the way that you want to. And I would hope that it would be a positive one. <laughs> um, the next, I really, I'm really excited by this idea of you know, looking for people outside of normal rounds. And I say that because, you know, I didn't go to university. I came up through my career in a much different way than anybody, like, you know, than others that I see around me as my peer group. And I don't think that's a bad thing. So how do we tap into new and emerging talent um, in environments we wouldn't normally do, like outside of universities, through apprenticeship schemes, you know, uh, Code First Girls, you know, things like this, where they're, they're encouraging different career paths, you know, really tap into new and interesting areas of society that if we don't start reaching out to are going to start to be left behind. So, so I think there's, there's almost a part of kind of that corporate citizenship aspect to, um, to what we do to, in, you know, to bring those areas of, of our communities with us that might not necessarily have that straightforward career path and not seeing it as a barrier either. I know a lot of, you know, C-level executives who have had the same sort of path as me where they, you know, haven't done it in a standardized way and they don't talk about it. And even myself talking to you this the first time I've talked about it, but I think we need to be open about having different, you know, paths to being successful and what does success really look like. And do you know what? I feel so privileged that you have shared on this podcast that you didn't go to university and that this, this is your background. And actually, this is a route open to people who've decided not, not to go to university. And actually, I'm seeing so many more programs where people are genuinely wanting to attract people from all sorts of backgrounds. And you don't need to have done the route that someone in your family did or someone outside of your family did or what the, what the previous CEO did. It's actually all about potential and attitude and, and whether, whether this is an environment that you want to excel in. And Isabel, it's been so brilliant listening to all your lessons, everything that you've shared with us. It's just been amazing to hear about how you've become the success that you are and the genuine heartfelt uh, challenges that you've gone through have been absolutely brilliant that you've shared those with us and I, I definitely will take with me the importance of recognition and how that is the root of trust and psychological safety within a business so thank you for sharing all of that and joining me on the women of fintech podcast series thanks everyone <laughs>